I would hate to tell you what this lousy little book cost me in money and anxiety and time. When I got home from the Second World War 23 years ago, I thought it would be easy for me to write about the destruction of Dresden, since all I would have to do would be to report what I had seen. And I thought, too, that it would be a masterpiece or at least make me a lot of money since the subject was so big. But not many words about Dresden came from my mind then, not enough of them to make a book anyway, and not many words come now either when I've become an old fart with his memories and his Paul Malls. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And this week we're talking about Kevin's pick, George Roy Hill's adaptation of the Kurt Vonnegut classic, Slaughterhouse-Five, starring... Is that guy's name Gregory Peck? No, what's that guy's name? <laughs> Michael Sachs. Michael Sachs. Yeah, mm-hmm. who the fuck is Michael Sachs, right? And uh, Rob Lehman, Liebman and some other people. And uh, we're also going to be talking about other stuff we watch, of course, as always. You know, it's the same drill every single time, at least for the last couple of times, right? Because we've been talking <laughs> about the deep dive first, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally even, I literally forgot tonight, and I had my deep dive as the last thing on my list. But yeah. we got to talk Slaughterhouse Five, right? That's Is right. there anything else we need to get into before we jump right into the deep dive? Not that I know of. Let's jump. Let's jump. Let's, let's right. dive head first into the shallow end. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Sink you know, or I, swim, Billy boy. Right. <laughs> the Slaughterhouse Five is directed by George Roy Hills from 1972. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's based on the book Slaughterhouse Five, which actually is so weird that we're, that you chose this. Hmm. Because I literally, the bell ringer that I did all week with my students was a letter that Vonnegut wrote uh, to a, a school board superintendent about this yeah. book. Oh. The, the, the guy was burning copies of it and banned it in his school district. Mm. And, uh, you know, he wrote, you know, chastising him for that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Kevin, why this movie? Why now? Well, um, a while back, I had actually reread um, Vonnegut's book, uh, Mother Night, which um, was also made into a movie, which I saw like a while ago. Maybe you guys have seen it. Anyway, uh, it got me it got me thinking like about Kurt Vonnegut and about, you know, um, the movie. I plan on reading Slaughterhouse Five again at some point, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, really like Vonnegut. I really like George Roy Hill, so I thought it was time to give this one another shot. Nice. Um, Slaughterhouse Five is. I should. Just, I'm just gonna give a little synopsis of the story, okay? So people are aware in case they haven't read this, you know stone-cold classic of a novel. Um, it's about Billy Pilgrim. I'm just going to read the synopsis from uh, from Letterboxd. Uh, Billy Pilgrim, a veteran from the Second World War who finds himself mysteriously detached from time. I think the term is unstuck, actually, so that he is able to travel without being able to help it 
from the days of his childhood to those of his uh, peculiar life on a distant planet called Tromfamador. Passing through his bitter experience as a prisoner of war in the German city of Dresden, over which looms the inevitable shadow of an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, what'd you guys think? Slaughterhouse Five. We'd all seen this before, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 We've all and we've all, of course all read the book, right? Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone here not like the book? I, I remember like Jr. Yeah. I remember liking it when I read it. Um, I don't know if it would be I don't know if it would be a five star book now, um, but I you know, it could be. Uh, Kevin, I revisited uh, the book. I think it was last year in 2022. And I, I decided <laughs> I had never um, listened to any of like the audiobook versions of a Kurt Vonnegut book. So I I got this on audio and uh, I thought it held up. I, it was it was still a five still a five for me. Nice. And, yeah, and that's uh, I don't who, know, read I, I def- who read it? Yeah. Uh, shit, it was uh, definitely uh, a notable nobody. actor. No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was somebody, I believe. But it was, um, I don't. Know, I definitely went through a Vonnegut like, I won't call it phase because I still like him. But uh, I was eating up lots of Vonnegut work my uh, my senior year of high school and the first couple years of uh of college. Huge, mm. huge formative, uh, you know, taste influence for me, Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan. Yeah, I had a I had a similar experience. Um, yeah, pretty sure. Because you you know, like Slaughterhouse Five is just one of those books that like you hear about it. Um, well, uh, you heard about it. Um, like I think they, I think they mention it in. Um, uh, disturbing behavior the movie with the uh, james marsden and nick stall mm-hmm. okay. um but yeah um but yeah and yeah so slaughterhouse five um you know rereading uh, mother night um which is about like so the ma- the main character it starts off with him he's in a prison in uh, israel he's about to be tried for war crimes and then it goes through his story of he um was a he was an american who was living in germany and then he joined the nazi party and started doing like uh radio propaganda and through that like people just assumed that you know he really believed everything that he was saying he really was a horrible Nazi monster, and really he was just a guy just trying to, you know, go through his life and really just wanted to be with his girl. Um, but yeah, and like, like especially like reading it now, reading it now in you know, post 2016, post Trump presidency, like there's a specific part where he's talking about like people. Like, like, you know how, like, people talk about you look at someone and you can see the gears moving in their mind. Like, he talks about, like, people filing down the gears in the teeth of their gears in their brains to purposefully lose real facts and information. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like, that is so relevant to what is going on in today's world 
that like you know is just crazy. Yeah, very prescient. Absolutely. How did um you know that character does not get uh, that nuance in the movie version of Slaughterhouse Five? The because uh, <laughs> that is that is Howard Campbell, right? Uh, who appears yeah. in the uh, the Dresden scene uh, with his Nazi uh, American flag Nazi outfit, which is uh, a comic sight. It's also horrifying. Um, it, to jump back to uh, John's question, the version of Slaughterhouse Five that I listened to was read by Ethan Hawke, and oh, the, the first, like the main search result for it on Audible, um, is read by James Franco. Oh dear! So. Yikes! <laughs> Good job, team. Those are those are two very divergent paths. <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, I'm going to start talking about how I felt about mm-hmm. this movie. That's cool. Go ahead. Um, you know, the first scene is uh, is is the main character Billy's adult daughter and her husband showing up to to their to Billy's house, kind of to check in on her her old dad. Uh, he doesn't seem like he's that old, but uh, you know, he's had a car wreck. We learn later that. Uh, he is widowed at this point and she's worried about him and he's just typing away. Looks like he's typing a crazy ass uh, letter to his editor. And from like the first cut, the first jump, like time jump um, where he like types the words, like he's unstuck in time and he looks up and it's like the quick cut to, to Germany in the snow. I was, uh, I was in, I was very in from that moment. I was like, I love, I love the way that they're visualizing the the jumps here, and uh, and I was just I was ready for the red. Okay, I liked it a lot. Don't don't come at me. I'm not gonna come at you. Okay. I just had a completely different reaction to that exact thing, which was uh, I I too appreciate the visualization of that first time jump, uh, and it's I think it's a huge mistake on the part of Hill and his editor to never repeat that at all throughout the rest of the film. The rest of the film plays the, the jumps in time play like literal, like they just play like flashbacks or like a Tarantino movie that's told out of order or something, you know? And it's like, there's no, there's no beyond the fact of him saying he's unstuck in time and all the, you know, the things that are happening sort of happening at, different time it literally just it doesn't it i don't get that sense i don't you, throughout the rest of the film which i don't you know it's, it's just a, it's just you know i agree with you that it's never that uh striking again i don't yeah. know that i agree that they just feel like regular flashbacks i there are a couple of points where the jump feels almost like too tidy um but i i do think the way that they jump and the way that like Billy reacts to the jump like it's too like disorienting is not the right word it's too just like uncomfortable like it never lets you be comfortable the way that just like a flashback could at least that's I, how, I, that's I, I it's, it doesn't they don't play like flashbacks in the as as structurally obviously like it's not like oh suddenly we're back in uh Germany because we need to see something about this to understand what's going on in the present day like it's not like that obviously because like that's not what the narrative is, but like there are match cuts. I mean, there are a few times yeah. where they, like you know they they literally are like 
you know, jumping from one image to the similar image in another, another, another time period. And I mean, I don't, I don't, it's not, it's not a huge problem for me, but I just remember like that first, like you're saying, when he's typing that and they jump immediately, I was like, okay, that's uh, a really like sort of aggressive way to deal with it. And I was like, that's cool. And uh, then it just like never happens again. And I was like, that's a bummer that it's like, you know, it's just sort of edited out of order. And, uh, you know, it's not as interesting, in my opinion, that part of it, you know, not to say that I, you know, this is not a negative review for the movie. I'm just this is a problem I had (laughs) right off the bat. That's all. Mm. JR's frozen. Mm. God fucking jokes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, just turn your camera off and then back on, because that's what I've been doing, and it works. Just click right. on the blue camera and then turn it off and on. Yeah. Cool. Bingo, okay. bango. Sorry. All right. With my, I forget, it's like the new computer. Whenever that would happen on the previous device, like mm-hmm. I would have to restart the entire computer. Uh, but it's new. It's brand new. So that's uh, we're good. Nice. Sorry, guys. No worries. So uh, yeah, like. So one one of the thi- one of the things that uh really struck me about this movie um you know it kind of happens it kind of happens like right in the middle um and it kind of took me by surprise cuz like for for all of this movie being you know about like you know the time you know time jumps world war 2 battlefields all all that kind of stuff the scene where um like right after the plane crash where billy's wife just completely becomes unglued and just literally tear asses through the town you know like tear you know completely tearing up her car and you know demolition derby yeah exactly it was like full-on like uh yeah like that that scene to me was like i don't know like it just seemed so over the top yeah like i mean i i think in in the context of the rest of the movie it it kind of works because like you know you have you have like you know it's very like kind of stately with you know especially with all the glenn gould Bach piano stuff going on through the movie, but then next thing you know, it's just balls to the wall, and like this woman is doing her best Timothy Carey impersonation, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, you know, as as we find out, you know, it has a tragic end. But uh, what did you guys think of the 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 car scene? Uh, I, I felt like, I mean, I feel the same way. It's over the top. I mean, but there's, but that's not the only over the top thing in the movie. I think the movie has like, I just feel like I'm saying a lot of negative shit. I feel, I like this movie. I just, uh, there's a lot of, um, like tonal issues I have with it. So mm. just like how far it goes with it's like how broad it goes with the comedy, I guess at points. Um, like so that's an example, for instance. I mean, that's like almost like a like a Keystone Cop slapstick sort of thing. I see it as. I mean, it's I guess mm. it's more violent than that, but and more serious because she dies and everything. But it's like also, um, you know, the earlier when she's 
he first marries her and then there's like that there's the sort of montage of her he's playing with the dog in the yard and she keeps coming out and like asking if he wants a snack and it's like always like some really fattening dessert or something you know and she's saying she's gonna lose weight constantly it's like a recurring joke she's gonna lose weight and it's Mm. just like stuff like that like drove me nuts because i i mean all that i'm sure i don't remember i'm sure all that comes from the book um but like i don't know i guess just the way that it's sort of uh conceptualized in the film is like those beats didn't work for me all every time but um but yeah you know i do that that car that car scene was just like you know another thing that car scene is also like one of these i don't know what about it makes me think this but like uh, one of my notes for this movie is just like the direction is like very very like early 70s like late 60s early 70s hollywood direction there's like like weird like stilty zooms in it you know just like mm. the camera just zooms in on something and stops you know <laughs> or it zooms out and stops and it's just like that kind of thing it always just like really takes me out because it's like so dated it's just such a dated technique and that that scene too i don't know something about it makes like reminds me of that same sort of aesthetic mm. uh the way that car maybe it's just because they hang on it too long like that scene is it feels very long to me i don't know how long it actually was but she's just like running into every single car on the road it's yeah. like it's just sort of absurd i don't know jr you have an issue with that uh no i i, I guess i kind of you know of course i telling you guys i love this movie uh, or I, I did love this movie and I, you know, I'm just, I'm building in defenses as I'm watching, of course. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of felt like it was um, like there, the absurdity, like there's always like a lot of absurdity around Billy and Billy's kind of an absurd figure also because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're kind of straddling the line between like detached and dimwitted uh, for much of the movie. But like, you know, like the Ron Lehman character is insane. A lot of what happens to him in, in Germany is uh, is over the top while also being extremely uh, tragic uh, for many people. And I just I kind of just feel like that's that's part of it. I, I think this there is no scene that takes it to that level the way that the car scene does. But it just feels right. of, a, of a piece to me. Uh mm. Well, let's talk about Ron Liebman. I mean, I, he he's the outside of sax. He's the he's the big performance, right? I mean, he's the yeah for the sure one you're gonna remember from it. I feel like, and uh, I immediately like when he showed up, I was like, oh, that's uh that's Rachel's dad from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's the that's the union guy from Norma Ray. <laughs> See, it <laughs> just shows our our differing tastes. No, I hate Friends, but I have seen every episode and um. <laughs> He is the dad. He's like the curmudgeon. He's essentially, he is Lazaro. He's just also <laughs> Rachel's dad in the show. He's oh, okay. angry and screaming all the time. And uh, he hates uh, everyone she dates, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought I, I really enjoyed his performance. I mean, it was very like mm-hmm. fiery and um, it reminded me of, uh, uh, I want to say Bill Murray for some reason, Jack Nicholson in um, The Last Detail. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like very angry and agitated. <laughs> I do. I do wish there was more like like that first scene where he shows up with the other guy who I guess may, maybe he's somebody too. Do you guys recognize the other guy? The other uh, weary. Yeah. Uh, I, killed and he no. blames, uh, Pilgrim Kevin, it's Kevin Conway, but I don't 
know that I know him. Okay, well, the, he's the in the scene, Quick and the Dead and Mystic River. Hey, the scene where they one good and one bad. The uh, the scene where they uh, where they show up and there's like there's like an inordinate amount of f words being used, you know, which mm. also is like I you know I'm I don't even have to reread the book. I know that's from the book, right? And it's just like, but it's like it's weird because it feels like no one says fuck the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> But in that first scene where they're introduced, they're like trading fucks like nonstop for like a 35 seconds straight. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's and, just another one of the weird. It's just I feel like, you know, I guess that's like my biggest like sort of overall. What I got from the movie was that it's just like this is the dangers of of adapting a novel like this, mm. a novel that's probably, you know, pretty unadaptable like it's a weird novel and it's a weird narrative and it's a weird story and the you know when when you adapt it and you're in love with the material you are using tons of his dialogue even if it doesn't feel natural or if it doesn't feel right you still have to use it uh because you want to pay homage to the man the great writer you know and uh this this book was only a couple years old when this film was shot yeah, but that doesn't mm. mean it's not beloved, right? I mean, I'm sure people still. I mean, I'm sure the director know. or the writer, whoever is responsible for you know this, is still um you know probably probably like the movie. I would imagine. I mean, like the book. Yeah, I, I I just don't know how quickly this book uh sort of garnered its reputation. That's no fair. Idea. I don't know that mm. either. No, that's fair. Uh, yeah. but the. I you know as far as an adaptation goes, I think there are some admirable qualities to how they adapt this movie. Because mm-hmm. yes, a lot of the dialogue I think comes from the book, but like they never say so it goes in this movie. Like, that is true, and no, that they is don't the say, uh, of the book. That's true. They don't say a few things, yeah, that I recall. Um, it, yeah, it, I, I do think, and I, I feel like the the movie again with like the way it cuts between some things is probably a little bit more tidy, but the, um, than, than the book is mm-hmm. maybe I'm misremembering that, but I, yeah, I, I don't know what my point was going to be. Um, Rob Lehman does say fuck, uh, after that initial scene, does he? he definitely says no one fucks with Lazaro, uh, at least once. Okay. Fair enough. I, I think mean... he says it either to, to Edgar or the British guy once, uh, once they're in the mm. camp. Yeah, it's not a, uh, you know, that's not a um, criticism, like, as I, exactly, that they don't say fuck again, you know? I mean, it's fine, but it's just, it was just, it's just another one of, like, the tonal things that yeah. maybe sort of bothered me about it. Uh, but you, you, you don't have any criticisms, just negatives. Okay. <laughs> I love, I love the fact that the, it's shot in actual, like, snow. You know, at that in that scene, like that scene's very real, and I mm. think that for this movie, which I don't know what the budget was in this movie, did you guys look at that at all? No, I did not. I well, well, the um, oh, I have right here, hang on, the uh, whatever for what I imagine is a has to be a relatively small budget. Oh, okay, it's not on the Wikipedia page. I would imagine this is not like a massively budgeted movie, right? And, uh, like there are, they do a lot with what they have and that like, for instance, after Dresden is bombed like that, I don't know how they recreated the bombed city of Dresden, but it looks good. Like it looks real and there's a lot of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was impressed by that. And I think that, um, Michael Sachs at the, at the center of it, I was worried going into it. Cause I was like, 
immediately I was like, who in the fuck is this guy? He's been in like six movies. I've never heard of him, but I thought his performance was really good. And I, he's, he's, I thought he played old versus young, really good. And not just yes. old, like mm. typical old man, but like someone who has seen things and been changed by them versus like this wide eyed, you know, doughboy goofball. And mm. I, and I, and the makeup was great. Like the old man makeup was terrific. Like I thought they did a really good job of aging him, especially for like this time period where that's not usually done very well. Mm. Um, I thought that it was very subtle, you know, just like the receding hairline and everything slicked back and everything. And the glasses, it just adds a lot. And I thought it all worked really well. Yeah. I mean, there's almost like this subtle, like, uh, like confidence and demeanor change between like the mm-hmm. pre pre and post Dresden where it's like, he's still being yanked around, but it's, it, it's almost like he's more comfortable with it. It's weird. It's, I, I couldn't like figure out what he was doing exactly, but just the way he holds himself is different. Mm. And, uh, and I liked that. I could tell, even though he, he wasn't doing, he wasn't doing too much. No, it's subtle. It's good. I mean, it's I real good. See the acting. It's weird because it's like he's. I guess I don't know. I get. I I imagine this movie wasn't well received, and um, or at least didn't make money, and uh, maybe that's the reason he didn't. His career didn't like you know do more. He didn't do more in his career, or maybe he just did other things. I don't know. But he's just. A, I mean, he, I thought it was quite good. I just like. I wish he was in more stuff because I'd like to see him in more more things. But uh, he has done he's like some crazy educated like wall street guy oh okay in addition to being an actor yeah like i know he he's the um he's the cop that they take hostage in sugarland express mm-hmm. um but other other than that i can't think of anything he's else an, i've seen him in he's an amityville horror apparently mm. which is not something i'm ever gonna watch but um yeah, I mean, I might watch Sugarland Express at some point. I just, it's just, yeah, I just, I was, he's just he's um, an impressive performance. So. What the fuck? Executive director of Morgan Stanley for 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, mm. Like a hundred millionaire. And yeah. he, he worked in like technology positions on Wall Street for many years. He, he was an yeah. MS in computer science from Columbia University. <laughs> <laughs> It's just on his uh, bio on Letterbox. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. So he has. He's doing all right for himself. Yeah, maybe in terms of like the acting thing didn't work out. Kind of actors. This is uh this guy. This guy made it. He made it work. Yeah, he's fine. He's doing okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do we think of Paul Lazaro? Because you know he's such a ubiquitous part of this film. Like, uh, you know, like I, I, you know, it was great where in the, you know, the scene, the scene where, you know, spoiler alert, you know, Billy dies, um, like, you know, when he's telling everybody, yeah, I mean, there's just this guy and he's crazy (laughs) and, you know, he thinks, he thinks I did this, but it was, you know, it was an accident. And then, you know, like, like he's like, it's like clear that like. Lazaro's like mania has like it's gotten so it's like you know like in a feedback loop it's just built on itself for years and years and years and years and years and you know finally he's the you know 
lone gunman. I, you know, I, I, I love, I actually really like that scene a lot um, mm. where he's giving that speech and Lazaro shows up uh, <laughs> because it's like, uh, Lazaro is so comically like angry throughout the entire Dresden or section or the world war two section of the film. And like, <laughs> he's got that thing. Like he tells, he told early on after like right when he first gets mad at Pilgrim, he's like, uh, you know, one day he's going to, he's going to get a knock on the door and it's going to be me. And it's going to be a guy in a trench coat. And he's like, Paul Lazaro sent me and all that. And then, um, <laughs> and which is like, you know, when you're hearing that, you're sort of maybe thinking like, okay, this guy's like the, like the real deal. Like he's going to kill this kid. And then, um, later on, he, I, I think he's, I think it's with Howard Campbell, uh, where he's yelling at him and he starts that speech again. He's like, one day you're going to get a knock on the door and a man in the trench. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you get the impression he just tells this to everybody to freak them out. But yeah. then I like, I like that it culminates with him actually doing something, you know, like actually you know, going through it. I don't know what he screams. What does he scream? Cause I could not tell over the crowd noise after uh, he shoots him. I want to say something. I want to say he, you know, reminds like, you know, nobody fucks with Paul Lazaro or something. Oh, yeah, like he might, that. yeah. Maybe it is something like that. Yeah. But I, I thought, yeah. I thought his old man makeup looked good too. I mean, they aged mm-hmm. him well. So <laughs> yeah. he's barely, you know, he's barely in it, but they, uh, yeah, I liked, I liked, uh, I like Lazaro. I like the performance. I like that scene a lot. I mean, that scene is one of the better shot, not better shot, but just like nice looking cinema, cinematographically. Um, mm-hmm. I like, uh, like the, like there's that scene. And then there's, um, the scene when they're leaving the bunker in Dresden and it's just candlelight in the tunnel. Like I thought that shit looked really good. There's a few like really like striking images in this. How do you guys think about the music? What do you guys think about the music? No score. Just classical. I I liked it. Yeah, I, I liked enjoyed all it. the the Glenn Goldbach. Mm. How do you guys know it's Glenn Gold? Like I did not know that. I just uh, assumed it was it's, it's, I in, looked the, it's up, in the credits. Yeah, oh, in the beginning. And yeah. I just it's a name I know. Who reads the credits? Just, <laughs> just Well, and I I looked it up. I was like, what is going on? Whose music is is he playing it? Even though the credits, I think, says Bach, but the um, you know, I I know Glenn Gold due to the thirty two short films about him mm-hmm. that I've seen. Mm. Thirty two. No, it's it's. I mean, the the movie is called thirty two thirty two oh. films about Glenn Gold. Oh, okay. Thirty two <laughs> short films about Glenn Gold. Oh. Uh, it's like a early nineties uh, movie that is quite good, actually. Cool. Oh, um, Colonel, is it Colonel Bob at the beginning? The guy who stops him by the train and is like trying to talk to him. And then the wild, yeah, wild Bob, wild Bob, so, wild Bob rocks. I could have used a lot more wild Bob. I love the fact that he just like starts snotting. Like, did you guys notice this? This yeah. is huge snot coming out mm-hmm. of his nose. And he doesn't do anything about it. He's like completely unaware of it. And then I thought it was actually like one of the, one of the early, uh, sort of powerful might be too strong, but like it's a, it was a it was a, a heavy moment, you know, when he sees mm. Bob dead. Yeah, and the way that Bob is positioned with his neck up and everything, and the, like it was just like a weird. I don't know. I thought that was that was really um, really good. I wish there was more of that. I remember like I had half an hour left of this movie today, and I watched it, and 
before it started, I was like, you know, I don't know that this movie works without having read the book, you know, like, does this, would this, like, I don't know how this would play to somebody who hasn't read this book and who doesn't understand what the message of the book is. Uh, because there's not a whole lot of like, like there's like this powerful, like anti-war thing going on in the book. And I don't, I wasn't getting a lot of that from the movie. And then the last 30 minutes of the movie is like nothing but that, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay. It's like, there, there it is, you know, especially yeah. so like when the, when the, after the bombing and the German kid, uh, starts freaking out cause his house was bombed, I guess, or his parents or whatever. And he starts, he starts running back. Every, I was like, everyone. that's a really yeah, that's like really good. I mean, I was just like, and especially, oh my God, the, um, when he starts screaming, he's screaming Papa Papa in the burning building. And then it ma- like does the audio match to his, his son saying dad, dad in the bed. That's so yeah. good. Sopranos does this exact same thing in a season <laughs> six episode. And it's unbelievable. <laughs> it makes me cry whenever I see that episode. So it was just like, it's such a good, um, a good, emotional moment mm. <laughs> apparently the children that his children aren't are, are like uh like the son is actually older than michael Sachs. yeah it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's again it's good old age makeup it is it is yeah, yeah. weakest part of the film um hmm Gotta I, be know, I mean, Amador, right? that's where I was probably, probably yeah. headed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe just because it, it ends up being sort of an afterthought in this movie. And, and I know like, you know, obviously the, the end requires Chalf Amador and, uh, you know, he ends up having another child there, but, uh, it's maybe the part of Billy's narrative that like disappears for the longest. Yeah. We we see it at the very beginning and then not again until the last like thirty forty minutes. Yeah, it barely exists. Which yeah. I'm actually, I mean, in a way, I'm fine with it because I think it's like, I <clears throat> there are things I like about it. Like I love the the way the UFO is like uh, visualized. Like there's just a glimmering light that sort mm. of just takes him. You know, I like that. I think that's cool and especially i mean it's just it's a product of his time they probably didn't have the effects to, or the money to do anything else but i thought that was cool and i sort of like like i like the landscape of Tralfamador and like the you could see planets and shit in the background you know but i hate the the thing that they're in the dome it's just oh, yeah. literally just a fucking jungle gym like you can see where it's like the parts are <laughs> met, you know screwed together it's a jungle gym <laughs> it's like i don't know it was, that really took me out of it uh, and and then when that I, woman showed up i was like i don't know if i don't know you know how this like i don't know how long i can watch these two just like you know gabbing about nonsense fucking <laughs> you know yeah the uh i i initially thought that conceiving the aliens as like the just like this unseen you know talking entity and like mm-hmm. they're clapping and stuff like it's a sitcom i yeah. i thought that was initially a good idea but then i got very sick of it mm-hmm. i hated the the guy's voice yeah, yeah. so maybe that's yeah. why brutal. i got sick of it yeah brutal it just it felt really lame it felt very uh 1950s television which i, I think was intentional but it felt Do do you get a description of the aliens in the book? I don't recall. I don't remember I don't that. Either. 
And he does. I mean, he has a he has a line to sort of justify that in the film. He says, like, you can't see us because we exist in the fourth dimension. And I seem hmm. to remember a description in the book of uh, that the Tralfamadorians. I remember that they describe the way they look as because they exist in like in every moment of time in their lives that they're like elongated, like they're like giant worms almost of like, mm. you know, like I'm here now and then like I move an inch forward and I'm there and they're like, you know, forever and ever and ever. But I don't know if that was describing that or if that so, was just a... Apparently details of this alien race uh, vary from novel to novel because, of course, they're not just in... Uh, in Slaughterhouse Five, they're also in the Sirens of Titan, and God mm. bless you, Mister Rosewater, Water, mm. and uh, Timequake. Um, that's crazy. Did he only use Paul Azaro once? I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't remember. Probably just Google Paul Lazaro and come up with an answer. Two Z's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Billy Pilgrim reports in Slaughterhouse-Five that the Tralfamadorians look like upright toilet plungers with a hand on top into which is set a single green eye. Oh, my God. So uh, I so get glad why they, they didn't, didn't try <laughs> to, yeah, to pull yeah, that yeah. off. Oh, my. Yeah, that's brutal, dude. Um, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. That's fun. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Uh, what they came up with was a uh, novel and uh, cheap. I I wish they maybe had tried something a little bit different, but uh, I'm glad they didn't go with a toilet plunger with a hand as the handle. Yeah, this yeah. is a bad. This is a bad um, thing. It wouldn't look good. There's no way to make that look good. Although, I mean, I guess if it were more, if it were even broader, like if they went broader with the comedy, you could. You could get there. It's like that movie. Um, I haven't even seen it. It's the only. It's like one of the only John Carpenter movies I haven't seen. Dark Star, where they the alien is like a beach, a giant beach ball. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I you know the movie. That. The movie's pretty cool. I watched that a lot. That was like <laughs> a, a standard viewing uh, movie in uh, in college for some reason. It's like one of the. I think there's like two or three I haven't seen, and that's one of them. We didn't even. We didn't even smoke weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, I okay. Let's talk about the ending. Mm. So, like we said, right? It's backloaded with the Tralfamadorian stuff, and uh, he becomes uh, whatever in a relationship um, with Montana Wildhawk. Hack. hack. Sorry. Yeah. Hawk. <laughs> like Montauk, Montana. Um, <laughs> and then he impregnates her, which. I think is what the aliens want him to do, right? They keep asking it if they seems if fucking, like right? yeah. they wanted them to mate. It is insane how quickly yeah. uh, the two um, zoo animals agreed to uh, to mate yeah. up that way. Well, she's just you want to kiss me? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, yeah, why wouldn't I? You know, yeah, makes yeah. sense. Um, I would say the um, in general the. And, and like no characters come off as like especially like great people or mm. smart people in this movie, but um, the two main women are not portrayed as like as the best humans. Like they oh, they they there's such like deep stereotypical like insecurities. I guess mm. that's, that's not great. 
the daughter too. I mean, his daughters, you know, none of them are given their due, as it were. I mean, they're all sure, sort yeah. of, yeah. Again, but, I, you know, but that's but that is interesting that you say that. Like none of like none of the characters are really that. You know, none of them are are. No, I, I think even, Edgar uh, Edgar Derby's like the best human in this mo- in this movie, right? And like he's kind of just like. Like he's a well-intentioned buffoon, I think. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and he pays for it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. The only—it's really the only um, bit of violence in the movie, I think. Yeah. Real, I mean, like on screen, you know. Yeah. yeah. Blood squib. So. <laughs> uh, Howard Campbell, funny line when he. Uh, <laughs> He's 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 uh he's trying to recruit guys, you know, and then they start bombing. And they're like, I thought you said they weren't gonna bomb. He goes, you can't trust the Jews. <laughs> yeah. He just like blames everything on the Jews. Yep. And uh, Kevin, I have I talked about uh, Mother Night on this podcast, dude. I watched that like uh, last oh, okay. year, I think. I rewatched it last year. I oh. watched it. On, I watched it on VHS like back when I was in high school, I think. And uh, oh, okay. And then I re I rewatched it last year and. And talked about it. it's. I mean, it's like a decent. Yeah, it's a good movie. I, I actually oh. read. I think I read the first few chapters of the book. I just never got done with it. But okay, that um, was my uh, that was my favorite Vonnegut novel in high school. And I watched the movie in high school, but I don't think I've seen it since. That's like that's Nolte, right? Yeah, yeah, Nolte. yeah. He's great in it. He's the yeah. he's the reason to watch it. I mean, without a doubt. Like, there's it's not a great film, but he's very good in it. Yeah, and I like. Uh, goodman john goodman for like you know Mm -hmm. he's got a total of like maybe six minutes in the entire movie but you know he's got hands down the greatest line you know like and well that's when the excrement hit the air conditioning jesus (laughs) (laughs) just uh, speaking real quick about the end oh sorry go ahead now real quick mother night is my favorite vonnegut book has has always been probably will always be Nice. Um, um, that one's great. I should full disclosure. Uh, Slaughterhouse Five is the only Vonnegut novel I've read. So, <laughs> sorry guys. It's insane. Again, you, well, you guys are the voracious fine, yeah. readers. I'm not the voracious reader. I do own, I think, ten of his novels that I bought for a quarter apiece at a at a uh, at a thrift store. Nice. And yeah, and I'm looking at like they're my class. My sh- <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at three on my shelf right now that I I've never picked up and read mm. I, and like again i i've i've read slaughterhouse five read it twice and listened to it once and i've uh, i've read cat's cradle twice as well but um i guess i never felt the need to like complete his bibli- bibliography I don't, I don't know i have uh i did i started cat's cradle a long time ago mm. and i again i started mother night and uh and i have read uh, some of his short yeah. fiction, obviously, like Berger, Bergeron. Harrison Bergeron, yeah. We read yeah. that every year. Mm. Uh, I swear there was going to be like a, a Leonardo DiCaprio like starring ad- adaptation of Cat's Cradle at some point. Really? I wonder what happened to that. Or I'm like, making it like, up. Oh, like you heard news about that? Yeah, I feel like that was a thing mm. for a while. It's, yeah. it's almost... Right. It'd be everyone, nice for everyone Google. I know, right? It'd be nice if we had Google to look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the meantime, like I would, I would say, like um, it, even any 
either of you guys read uh, Breakfast of Champions? Uh, no. Yeah. yeah, I love okay. that one as well with the uh, Kilgore Trout. Yeah, yeah, that um, like yeah, I would say you know if you're gonna read any of them, like definitely you know obviously Slaughterhouse Five, Mother Night, and probably Breakfast of Champions because like. I remember enjoying Cat's Cradle and like, you know, like I actually like I didn't go through his entire bibliography, but I went through quite a few of them. And um, yeah, the, those three are easily the standouts for me. So um, Variety reported in 2005 that Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio's production company was uh, <laughs> producing an adaptation of Cat's Cradle. Uh, so I don't think that's happening anymore. Probably mm. not. Yeah. I wonder if Appian Way still does stuff. That was sure. a, that was his production. Yeah, company. sure. Produces everything he's in, right? I would imagine. I have no idea. Mm. I um, yeah. So I was just gonna say about the ending um, that I found it like a like a stop sign, like it just ends, and uh, mm. I was sort of like unsatisfied with it you know i mean i i I don't remember how the novel ends but the just like the you know he has the kid the end i don't know (laughs) i don't know i don't know what we're supposed to get out of that exactly so but um, well well, that's the thing about that's the thing about it like you know the like that's we yeah like it ends at that one part in you know pilgrim's story but like Mm -hmm. We actually saw like the the ending of it comes like I don't know like twenty minutes earlier like whenever right, he when gets, he gets you know shot, whenever he gets yeah. shot but um yeah I mean that's well, fair I mean I guess it the, makes sense. from a from a from a like a structural standpoint it makes sense I guess that it just sort of ends in the in yeah they are these are all just uh these are all just moments and right mm. they still and still all happening at once <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you know I think uh. It's that is a moment of restraint where they could have just made it clear and said, and so it goes, um, but they didn't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have said it though? Oh well, that's yeah. That would have it would have been ridiculous coming out of anyone's mouth. <laughs> uh, well, and, and that's have the Tralfamadorian like guy as a narrator voiceover say it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And so be, it goes. That is so <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> And he would have said it. That was a. He would have said it exactly like that. Fuck you exactly. for getting for getting that so right. <laughs> I know, right? Oh my god, that was, that's, that's so gross. true. I hate. I hated that. Disgusting. Um. Yeah, it, yeah. Thank God. Like, thank God, there's no narrator in this movie. I think. Oof. I think this would have been just totally brutal, and I think it would have been cheap. It would have been a way to, uh, to get more of Vonnegut's. Uh, narrative voice and prose in there, which is definitely a strong, like, to strength in the novel, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad they they avoided that. Nice. Well, uh, I'm yeah. out of notes personally. Who ratings? Yeah. I'm going three and a half. I'm going four and a half. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, I put it, it's number 10 for 1972. Nice. Which, uh, is wow. a good movie here. Yeah. And I am splitting the difference. I'm going four stars. It uh, won the Prix du Jury at the Cannes Film Festival, apparently. So. 
Yeah, the apparently first and last people that saw it that year with any taste. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm, oh, again, right. I'm not sure. Not sure how this was received. No idea. I don't either. There's no. There's no um, information about like usually on a Wikipedia page you have like critical reception, but they don't have that. This is such a like this is a movie that in high school or college, whenever I saw it for the first time, I definitely rented it on VHS. Uh, it's like is does not it's not been released often. Um, it is sandwiched for this director in between fucking Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid and the Sting, like <laughs> two hugely successful movies with massive stars. Mm. Uh, Joys were George Roy Hill definitely had the capital in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. And it just feels like this is a, a forgotten movie from him. Mm. And it doesn't make any sense. The um, guy who shot this also shot if and Oh lucky man and um, Amadeus. Yeah. And Amadeus and well, some, probably, uh, I would imagine he won the Oscar for that. Some, right? some so. Czech movies as well. Yeah. He was a Milos Milos Foreman's guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Um yeah, well, he was nominated for cinematography, he didn't win. That sucks. Oh, Everyone else man. won. <laughs> Everything else won. That movie except cinematography. What won? Brutal. Oh Jesus, what won? Who fucking knows? Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look it up. Um, anyways, yeah. Uh so I guess let's Move on. Oh, we should do our our, our letterboxed uh, roulette. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. What are we doing? What are we using? Box office game this time. Mm-hmm. You said box office game, and I didn't get a chance to play it, so I will take the L for sure. Oh Jesus! And, uh, and you guys yeah, can so uh, between me and one. me and John. Okay. Yes. Uh, let me just send. I'll send my score to you guys, and uh, yeah, because I play I, I play every morning early, early in the morning. Uh, okay. Just it doesn't make my cut for an everyday game in the morning. Really? I do. I do Wordle. Day, I do Connections. I do Framed now again. I do Framed every day too. Guys, I got Despicable Me and one the other day. I was actually <laughs> disgusted with myself. That is gross. I was like, I don't know what fucking animated movies this is. I just guessed one and it and it got. Um, I do World Wordle. I guess the oh. country based on the a world shape outline of the world of the of the excuse me country. Oh wow, uh, <laughs> that one's fun. Mm-hmm. I do Wordle uh, at work almost every day. Mm. Anyways, I um I had five sixty. Kevin had five ten. So yep. I win. Good job, guys. Oh, uh, by the way, um, rushed it. The Killing Fields, Chris Mangus from The Killing Fields won 1984 cinematography. Um, and apparently, I didn't know this, Excalibur was nominated for cinematography in 81. It's awesome. Should have well, won. Oh, yeah. But sure. it, lost, it lost to Vittorio Storaro, so I can't be sad about that. That guy rocks. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, the movie that you two will be watching again, even though <laughs> JR didn't watch the movie for this week. Mm. I did. No, I sorry. Oh, I did didn't. You? I watched two movies last night. I didn't log either of them. Uh, so I have seen Chicken Run and Anatomy of a Fall. Okay. Oh, Anatomy of a Fall? Where'd you see <gasps> that? You DL'd that? Maybe. Uh oh. Send it to me, man. <laughs> okay. This guy has to stay ahead of me. He can't send me shit. I'm like, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't send until we talk about it, but yeah. 
Okay. Well, yeah, send it to me uh, whenever, and uh, I would love to watch that. Gotcha. Sorry, I'm trying to get to this movie, guys. It's 29... Uh, 70? No, yeah, no. Yeah, 29.87. All right, here we go. It is, the movie you guys are watching is, wait for it, Divorce Italian Style? Uh, yeah, it's a Criterion movie. I've, yeah. I, have, I have seen it. Kevin, have you seen that? I have he not. Has, he has not I, logged it. Okay, Pietro Garami. Sweet. It's, uh hour and 44 minutes okay it's on criterion and hbo max or max sorry max Ugh. anyway uh yeah so that's what you guys have to watch deal with it cool so it's uh marcello mastroianni mastro i don't know how to say his name mastroianni <laughs> mastroianni i feel like that's mastroianni. right <laughs> whatever right, he's right. uh i love the the synopsis Fernando is desperate to marry his cousin. Great. <laughs> Can't wait. What in the world? Gotta marry that cousin, Bo. Yeah, post dude. Post uh, Divorce <laughs> is illegal in Italy, so I guess that means uh, he's got to kill it. Mm, okay. So, I mean, at, at, the, at the time, I'm sure. This is 1961. Oh, okay, okay. Hopefully those Catholics have, uh, have figured some shit out since then. Who knows? Mm. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's uh, move into what we watched. Or should we uh, start with homework? Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Chicken run. Run of the chicken? Yeah. Did not expect Mel Gibson to be in this movie. <laughs> Wait, so, Kevin, you had not seen this? I hadn't. No. I, I, so I I realized where, I, once it started, I realized where it just, I had seen it. Because before I started it, and why I thought it was on Disney Plus, because I thought this was Chicken Little, like the Zach Braff oh. starring Disney animated movie that was apparently not good. Uh-huh. Um, but I definitely saw this. And this was like, like we had a VCR in our minivan, uh, oh. like in the early 2000s. And this was definitely like one of my siblings choices on road trips. Um, I've seen this in a car a lot. Ah, OK. And maybe only in a car. Um, but I was aware that Mel Gibson was in it, and I remember yeah. hate I remember hating it as a kid. I thought mm. it was so stupid. Um, uh, but yeah, it's not stupid, Kevin. What what else did you think besides Mel Gibson? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um, like, <laughs> like, like, yeah, I I de- I definitely did not expect them to you know come up with a contraption to make chicken pot pies. And, you know, on on mass, and you know that was that was something else. <laughs> I definitely did not know or did not remember that this is uh, a fucking children's uh, you know Nazi concentration camp movie. Pretty much, like, yeah. <laughs> like it is like with the first time they show like the overhead of the chicken coops, it's like oh god. Mm. Um, this is very much like a, a common movie image of, of a concentration camp. Um, yeah. Is it a concentration camp or more like a uh, prisoner of war thing? Maybe prisoner of war. Wasn't well, like great. I feel like it was like the great escape sort of. Uh, model, yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. For sure. And, and yeah. it even like, it, yeah, it definitely looked like that. And it even reminded me of, of one of the overhead shots in 
Slaughterhouse Five when they like walk mm-hmm. by the uh, the Russian prisoners. Um, mm-hmm. and I was like, watched these two nights in a row. I was like, didn't know that I was going back to to Germany. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on on night two. Uh, oh no, I I found yeah, I thought it was like it's it's silly, but I thought it was mm. was clever. And yeah. I mean, this is like definitely a kids movie. I understand why uh, my siblings liked it a lot in 2001 and i understand why 13 year old me thought it was stupid and lame uh <laughs> just just too cool for this shit mm. at that point and i probably also didn't like the animation i don't i like i didn't like Wallace and gromit when i was younger either oh okay i think that's probably wrong too you don't you know you're not a claymation guy i feel like i am now i don't know you're, you didn't play clay fighter as a kid i no, i did <laughs> i liked that a lot <laughs> Yeah, enjoy Clay Fighter. That was yeah. the yeah. I had, I think I had that game on Nintendo 64. Oh, we had a Super right? Nintendo. We had it on Super Nintendo. Mm. So maybe I had like Clay it, Fighter it 64. Rocked. Or yeah, there's yeah. there is one. Well, it's called Clay Fighter 63 and a third. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, I have them all on my yeah. phone now. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? You can emulate. You can emulate. Uh, I emulate, I can emulate up to PS2 on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> wow! What app does that? Uh, let's see. My app. Is no, cool. don't, don't don't actually. I don't. I don't play it's video a, games. I don't want to play video okay. games. <laughs> I'll, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I, I can't. Then. I don't need. I don't need Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 on my phone. You, I just don't. So you have no idea how much you do need Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 on your phone. <laughs> Or or skate? Oh my god, dude, skate! I can't. Too. I can't it's... fail out of college again. I can't fail out of college again. <laughs> you get those like uh, you can get the backbone for your phone and mix it into a controller. Oh my god, it's amazing! Oh. It's the best. I also have all those emulators on my on my computer too. Like some of the some of the PS2 ones don't run as well on my phone because my phone just can't handle it. But they run super smooth on my computer. <laughs> it's the best. Nice. On my Mac, I mean. Mm. I could run. I mean, I could literally. I could. I could emulate PS4 games on my my computer upstairs, but I don't. I haven't done that. Mm. Seems extreme. I mean, I have this console. Anyway, sorry guys. That's yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't. I don't have yeah. a ton else to say about uh yeah about man. Chicken Run besides it's yeah it's silly and and it you know it's worth worth your time and uh, apparently there's a sequel coming straight to Netflix uh, next month. Mm. Yeah, in December. Yeah. Rise okay. of the Nugget. Is Mel Gibson reprising his role? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, Controversial. I saw that like Amelda Staunton is. She's like mm. just one of the chicken. Like there's some ran- there's some random British actors that uh, are back twenty twenty three years later. Oh wow, that's weird. Yeah. All right. Yeah that that was that was like one real quick thing that like I wasn't. I was confused about in the movie is like I watch a lot of British stuff. So I'm familiar with a lot of British actors. So it's like, why aren't there more people that I've heard of in this? But, um, you know, anyway, maybe they all, they all died. Maybe they're old. It's it's entirely possible. It's possible. I think Miranda Richardson, I believe was, uh, Mm. Miss Tweety. Yeah. The evil Miss Tweety. All right. Um, well, I will uh, continue. Uh, I watched uh, Dream and Wild 
directed by Bill Poland, who previously to this did the excellent Love and Mercy. I loved Love and Mercy a lot, uh, which is the Brian Wilson bio, well, biopic, whatever. Anyways, um, this is a movie that is similar because it's about musicians. It's about uh, the Emerson brothers, the uh, Joe and ooh, Joe and Donnie Emerson, who as teenagers, they like recorded music together in a studio that was built for them by their dad and uh, like in the woods in Oregon. And then they pressed a record because they, they were, you know, they like put their heart and soul and uh, the family's money into the mortgage of the farm, that sort of thing. And they pressed this record and it never went anywhere. And now they're adults and they're middle-aged and Casey Affleck and Walton Goggins play them. And um, they're like not making music, but Casey Affleck is running a recording studio, which is not doing well because nobody wants to record music in Oregon, I guess. And um, Walton Goggins is like a, welder or something i don't know he's kind of you know uh trade and uh they uh yeah they they somebody finds their record chris messina plays an executive from light in the attic records who finds their record and is like blown away by it you know and uh he comes to them and he wants them to they're going to repress the album they're going to sell it and they want them to play a show at like a big deal theater in Portland. And so that's what the movie is about. It's sort of like them getting ready for that show. Casey Affleck being cynical at first, but then like wanting to do it right, wanting to play the show, wanting to show everybody how genius he is. Cause he actually wrote all the songs and everything. And Walton Goggins just playing a real aw shucks, you know, uh, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to play music again with my, my brother. I love everything. Everything's great. And there's um honestly like the problem with this movie is that it's based on a true story and which I did not know going into it. I assumed it was made up, but like as soon as Chris Messina shows up and he says he works for light in the attic, I'm like, that's a real record label. I have records from light in the attic records. So I Google it, you know, and it's like, Oh yeah, that's a real thing. Like their album is on Spotify, you know? Mm. And, um, and I'm like, okay, well that changes things slightly. And then the, everything I'm now I'm watching it like with that lens and the drama seems very like, uh, put on now, you know, whatever, small amount of drama that there actually is in this movie which isn't much but there there's a there's a clash between casey affleck and sort of everyone because he's like you know control freak and uh wants his music to be perfect and walton goggins is not a drummer anymore like he hasn't drummed since he was like 16 so he's not doing well and um he has like this Casey Affleck has this like goofy blow up after the show where he's, you know, angry and screaming and it's very demonstrative and actory and it didn't work uh, for me that scene. And I think like overall the movie is like well-made and it's well-directed and it's, it could be really interesting, but it's just like, I just don't know that there's that much of a story here. I wish they would have sort of just made a movie based on this and fictionalized it, you know, maybe it would have been more interesting. Because I think the idea of the, like, Casey Affleck's character of him, like, having, you know, sort of given up on his dream and now his dream comes back around, like, that's a good idea. But it's not really 
explored all that well. And I think it's just because, you know, they have to tell a story that actually happened, you know, mm. <laughs> and in reality it wasn't explored maybe. So cause I get the end, it shows the real, uh, Donnie Emerson, who's case officer playing at like in like a bar with his wife. And it's just like kind of sad, you know, it's yeah. just like, like <laughs> they just look like old guys playing at a, like, you know, open mic or something. Yeah. Anyway, I thought from the trailer, like, doesn't it, like at some point, like, like the, the dude who like finds the record, like he starts playing it and then everyone's like, Oh, they're geniuses. They're really great music. Uh, like, I mean, there's like I a wrong? little bit, there's like a little bit of that. Like there are reviews that come out of the record, obviously like, uh, like he talks specifically about the pitchfork review and how mm-hmm. it's positive and it compares, it compares them to Brian Wilson. Um, and they're excited about that, but it's not like, and they start making a little bit of money, you know, mm-hmm. from like the sales of the record. Oh, okay. but it's not like they become, you know, they're not touring or anything, you know, <laughs> they're not like, <laughs> like, you know, nobody, it's, it's a novelty, right? It's like, Oh, this is great. Like these 16 year olds made a record 30 years ago and it's, it's good. What yeah. could have been, Oh man, but nobody wants to hear, you know, 50 year old man making music now like this fucker, you know, who cares? You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the same way. And I listen to the record and it's, a, it's, it is like a, it is like it has like flashes of what you would imagine like could be brilliance, you know, like this guy could have been somebody if somebody would have they would have embraced him back then. Mm. But it's just like, you know, they didn't. So, you know, what are we talking about? Yeah, it's over. <laughs> let's move on with our lives and let's move on with the show. Anyways, now who's who's next? <laughs> Either hey, one I'll, uh, yeah, I'll do uh, I'll do anatomy of a fall. Uh, just because that's a it's a buzzy buzzy film around town, you know. Because I live in in Hollywood and, and right. you know, they make movies. Um, yeah, this uh, Anatomy of Fall is a uh, Justine I think Justine Triet's uh, film. Um, it's like a legal courtroom thr- uh, drama. I call it drama. Thriller is not quite right. Um, <laughs> and it. Um, you know, it's good. It's two and a half hours, and uh, it stars Sandra Huller, who was uh, the star of uh, some German movie I liked that I can't remember the name of right now. Tony Erdman. Thank you, Tony Erdman. That movie was really good. <laughs> and she's also in Zone of Interest later this Ooh. year. Yeah, which I'm excited for. And um, uh, she is uh, an author. She is uh, married to another author. They have a uh, a young blind son and a dog, and after like this kind of informal interview um, that Sandra Huller is having, um, her husband is found dead by their blind son. Uh, he has seemingly fallen from uh, like the attic area of their house which is uh kind of like it's remote it's like in the in the forest far away from uh the city and after some investigating uh she is indicted for uh the murder of her husband and uh as an audience we are not um sure 
if uh, if this was a fall or if it was a suicide or if he was pushed. Um, and the trial experience is very thorough and extremely detailed. And nice. the like French the French trial setup is is like very different than ours. It's like very like two way conversational. Uh, you know, it's like the the witness can can sort of speak uh, much more freely than they could in an American court. Um, and there it's much more of like a back and forth. Uh, a lot of like sarcasm. I was like, like some judge in America would like hold all these people in contempt of court. Uh, like what the fuck's going on? Uh, so that was interesting. But the um, and where the trial goes is interesting, and it kind of takes like these like all of these small moments at the beginning of the film are are just are like labored upon. They become pieces of a puzzle, and uh, and like it's it's cool and it's smartly written. Um, I was not as blown away by by everything as I I think some other critics were or the can jury was, but. Uh, I liked it. It's it is very good, and um, the main performances, uh, especially Sandra Huller and um, the prosecuting uh, call him attorney. I I don't know if they call the lawyers uh, prosecuting attorneys or whatever, but he probably was not because they speak French over there. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know? Yes, <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, lot, so they speak a lot of English too. Um, <laughs> which Cassandra Huller's character is uh, is not French. She speaks right. French, but um, she honestly she'll slip. She usually goes between uh, French and, and English, and I believe also speaks German. She's like a she's a German author. She and her husband met in London and lived there for a while, and they have recently moved uh, to his native France. Uh, but anyway, the um, the prosecutor guy is played by where'd he go? Antoine Reinhardt's 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 Reinhardt's. I don't know. Uh, he looks a lot like uh, my assistant principal, and behaves like him too. But uh, but well, he was just, he was really good. Uh, <laughs> Your principal's anyway, really good, good or, or he's good in the movie. My assistant principal's okay. As a assistant principal, but yeah, this Just guy kidding. is really good in the movie. Yeah. Nice. All right. Killer. Uh, yeah, yeah, someone someone was killed. So. <laughs> Wait. No, he he died. So. We you know it's there's a lot of there's, alert. <laughs> no, no no there's. You said he finds movie, the dead body, right? The kid finds the. He's finds the dead body. Yeah. Oh, but I, That's I, said the I said he's been killed, but he he's not necessarily oh. he's not necessarily yeah, like, been killed. killed. Like, wait a minute. Oh, I and see we what don't, you're saying. We don't it's get murder. We don't get as many answers as you would maybe think from like a you know some other murder uh, mystery because it's not really a murder mystery. Right. Hmm. All right, Kevin. Yep. Okay. So I watched a most wanted man starring. Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, Vicky Creeps from Phantom Thread and um, Robin Wright Penn. So 
Philip Seymour Hoffman is a fellow named Gunter, who's a German intelligence officer, and he's like trying to like capture and you know stop uh terrorist cells in Germany, and this one dude comes along from uh Russia and like he's trying to keep an eye on him so he can you know figure out you know like the bigger picture but all of his um like the other intelligence people in Germany they just want you know just arrest people so people don't get blown up um but uh i enjoyed this quite a bit like Philip Seymour Hoffman is obviously great, you know, even though he's putting on like a, you know, kind of light German accent, like it always sounds good. And the movie itself is kind of, I don't know, by the books um, spy number, but I think it's well acted and it looks good. And, uh, you know, like any anytime you can have a scene with Willem Dafoe and Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's like easy win, you know, easy good time. So that's a John Le Carre thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Anton Corbin, uh, have you seen the the American? No, should I? Uh, yeah. I don't remember if you should or not. I watched it in oh, the theater, okay. but um, you should. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Then cool. do it. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like Clooney. You know, I like Clooney too. It's a good era for Clooney. It's like you know when he was a big leading man. Back I in think the this day. Corbin recently put out a documentary. I think. Did he? Uh, yeah. Squaring the circle. What's that about? Geometry. In 1968, art students Storm, Thorgerson, and Aubrey, whatever, made a trippy photo collage for their musician oh. friends, Sid, David, and Roger. The resulting album cover, album and album cover, oh. uh, Pink Floyd's album. I think I mm. saw the trailer for that now that you mention it. That sounds like a really boring documentary, bro. I'm not gonna 100, lie. 100 minutes. Jesus Christ. 100 minutes while making a fucking album cover? And, and I guess. The it says like the launch of of these two careers that of Pink Floyd and uh, of this group of artists who produced a bunch of album covers over the next twenty five years. That's gonna be a, a chore for you to watch, eh, Jr. Because you hate Pink Floyd. Yeah, I'm not gonna watch it. I'm not oh. watching this. <laughs> That's 2023. You gotta watch it. I <laughs> don't have to watch it. Well, hey, I mean, I uh, you know. Uh, hypnosis did more than just uh, Pink Floyd. Like, uh, like look at um, uh, Peter Gabriel's like um, his uh, first few solo albums, like uh, Peter Gabriel two and three. Like, those are awesome covers. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I've heard the. I mean, I've definitely heard of hypnosis. So, all right. Um. Well, uh, I watched Bottoms. JR, you excited? How did you yeah, not watch I, Bottoms yet? <laughs> I tried. I tried to get to it before. Uh, I couldn't. <clears throat> well, I. Uh, it's the new film by Emma Seligman, and again starring just the national treasure that is Rachel Sinha, and so also good. some other lady 
A-O-E-D-B-E-R-Y or something. Anyway. <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding, guys. How do you say her name? Io? Edibiri? I think it's Io. Yeah. Okay. Um, she's uh, fine in this. I don't have any issue with her in this. Uh, she's not like the thing that I like about it, though. This movie, what I like about it is that it's really fucking funny. It's like a funny movie, dude. It's probably outside of Barbie for me, maybe the funniest movie of the year. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, it's just great. Like there are just so many great sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Like, uh, you know, it's like a teen comedy, but it's, playing in like a very satirical space like it's not it's not reality at all everyone curses in this movie like the principal and the teachers and the kids like everyone's cursing with each other like it's a normal thing and uh using like there's a lot of like just casual homophobia you know because the two leads are lesbians and uh, it's like they live, they exist in this world, the world of this high school where the jocks are like, uh, you know, like everyone hates these girls. Like they call them like ugly lesbians, essentially, like constantly throughout the film. And this is uh, like the early 90s. Yeah, no, it's not. It's present day. But it's like this is like the world that we're, it's like it's like the world of like an 80s, mm. you know uh hmm. like a john hughes movie or something but it's not ah. it's not shot that way or anything it's just like the the attitudes are antiquated and i think it's i mean it's it's for a point it's like it's a again it's like a it's satirical and um these two girls decide to start a club uh at school a fight club at school <laughs> it's like a self-defense thing but they they decide they're just going to do a straight fight club and uh they all these all these females it's a female fight club and all these girls join and um they start to feel sort of empowered to uh you know be who they are which sounds really cheesy and lame when i explain it like that but that's what happens and it's good it's done very very well and uh it ends with a sort of (laughs) really extreme goofy action sequence but it's a lot of fun and uh yeah i just thought it was a blast and i had a lot of fun watching it and I'm really glad that I was wrong about it. And uh, Rachel Sennett just fucking rocks, dude. Like, I'll watch anything Rachel Sennett's in for the rest of eternity. She's the best. Nice. I can't wait. That's, that's, that's all I got for bottoms. JR? Yeah, I'll go with a, uh, a much uh, less good comedy. Uh, I watched No Hard Feelings which uh, with Ooh, Jennifer thanks. Lawrence. Yikes. <laughs> You've seen this too, right, John? Yeah, yeah. sadly. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't upset about it. In, in fact, uh, I watched it because I I had it on Blu-ray from the library because I was curious. Uh, and oh, I, hey, it, real quick, real quick, Jr. That reminds me. How is not having Netflix sending you DVDs and Blu-rays anymore? How's that going ooh. for you? Wait, wait, wait. This was like a whole bit on the show. Like I, I canceled it. I canceled it. Like yeah. You did? Yeah. For like a year, watch? I kept saying I was going to cancel it, and then I actually did cancel it. Oh, I had no idea. I finished. I literally finished out my queue, 
And like, yeah, but I thought that was, didn't you talk about that last episode? I thought you were, had one movie to watch like that. You had with no, you no. now. Oh, oh, no, this was like a long time ago. Uh, not a long Never time mind. ago. It was, it was about a year ago. You know what? Strike that. Uh, <laughs> my memory is garbage. Go ahead. Continue. Sorry. I interrupted. No. Well, and apparently like they were just like sending out DVDs to, to the, the still, you know, the people who kept subscribing and, uh, Apparently, I could have had a treasure trove of, of just trash DVDs and Blu-rays. They and trash like scratched up, scuffed yeah, DVDs with yeah. no cases. Fuck Absolute that. garbage. <clears throat> Absolute garbage. Um, anyway, I, I had this from the library. Didn't realize that it was going to be on on Netflix like maybe the day after I watched it. Um, but the uh, I don't know. I like Jennifer Lawrence, so mm. I was I want to see it and I think on this podcast when it was in theaters someone asked me someone asked who was gonna like take the bullet and uh, and watch this movie and I think I volunteered or, or maybe someone volunteered me and then John John got there first. Um, I thought this was occasionally funny and I thought that there were moments where it was like almost good and I thought Jennifer Lawrence was like very physical and good throughout the movie not just the now sort of internet famous very physical nude scene mm. uh which I, is funny i found that part to be funny um but then near the end there's like 25 minutes where uh they just forget that this is a comedy and it gets all stupid schmaltzy and stuff and like uh this little this kid you know jennifer lawrence is like a 30 something down on her luck in montauk uh land of eternal sunshine spotless mind and uh you know all the all the rich people are just moving in hiking up prices so it's harder for the locals to stay and um this 18 year old or 19 year old or he's headed off to college uh and of course the parents put out an ad for someone to come date their their introverted son and there's a moment when they're on a date and he starts playing piano in a restaurant and it's just, it's so lame. And <laughs> from that moment on, again, it's just like, there's very little funny until the very end. Uh, and it's just, it was lame. Like it, it, it's a movie that was like going for some real, like 1980s vibes. I thought with, uh, with what it was doing or maybe like early nineties, like the, she's all that sort of like dating comedy thing, like date the loser. Cause you're paid to, or you're dared to, and then you, you fall in love or so whatever. And it's great. They don't fall in love. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, I don't know. Some of that stuff worked and then it just got lame. She's all that is from 1999 JR. Oh, not is that the, not the early nineties? Uh, I feel like those existed. Okay. That. But you're right. She's sure. all that yeah. is not the early nineties. Fine. <laughs> anyway, I'm talking in, in circles because I, I think I was just really disappointed with how the movie started. It didn't have high expectations for the movie. I just thought it started really well. It had some great moments. Don't you feel like, okay, I'm going to say something without thinking too hard about it. And I might be totally wrong and off. Sounds like you're already thinking too hard, but keep going. Doesn't it feel like, comedies aren't very good when you don't have comic actors in them. Like, does that make sense? When I'm, like, you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> is Matthew Broderick, not a comic actor. Yeah. Is he funny in this movie? Not really. <laughs> He's barely. I liked, 
You know what? Matthew Broderick is in this movie as much as like Zoe Deschanel is in Dream and Wild. She has very little to do in this well, movie. <laughs> Matthew Broderick. So I I thought the parent couple was pretty funny. Oh, um, they're what? I, I I didn't find anything funny about this movie. Go ahead. They're they're just a really <laughs> lame idea of. They're an idea of very lame rich people. His mm-hmm. hair was hilarious to me. And uh, and the the staircase layered scene was nice. I don't even know what that is. I don't remember any of that. They're but, standing at the uh, top of a uh, top of a staircase and they're shouting to each other, introducing themselves. And he's like, "My uh, name's Laird," and she's like, "Like uh, whatever." Uh, like she mis- can't. She can't say Laird. it. She can't say yeah. it right. That's so yeah. tired, dude. This movie is such garbage. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Ugh. I just. I feel like. I feel like the center of the movie is the are these two leads who are not comedians. You know, like they're not funny people. But so like, what? What? Are, just, what? Like, what are we doing here? Like, I guess I just like, disagree with with Jennifer Lawrence not being funny, and she, I do. I do think she's funny. I think she's funny. Um. Like in, you know, in like a, a Silver Linings playbook, you know, there are comedic aspects to that film. And she has to be funny in certain moments. But like that movie is a drama. For like foremost, you know, yeah. and uh, she and Matthew, she and Matthew, she and Bradley Cooper are both funny in that movie, but they're not playing funny. They're playing. They're just they're just being people. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a broad like this movie is more of a broad comedy. Like, it's a comedy where it has jokes and like moments, like set pieces that are supposed to be funny. And I just feel like they aren't. And I think, and I, I lay the blame uh, on Lawrence I a lot know, because man. I think she's in control of a lot of that. Obviously she's the one who gets this movie made. Like nobody's making this movie without Jennifer Lawrence's name attached to it. So no, uh, yeah, of course I, I guess it, I just, I see scenes again, like her on the beach and her. Yeah, it's just a, and that's just a taste the, the thing, initial, right? like that, yeah. The initial meeting, like scooting the the little couch closer and closer, like oh. I just thought that I oh. thought that was funny. I thought she where, was, where, and I where, thought she was good in those scenes. So I watched Burt Kreischer's movie The Machine. Oh dear God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, like uh, yeah. So it, it's funny. Like I had actually been hearing about this movie. Like um, like I watched. Well, I used to watch their uh podcast two bears one cave him and tom segura you don't watch it anymore i catch it like every now and then if there's like a guest that i'm like you know i want to hear what they i lost you kevin can't hear you oh are you there uh the thing blinked out for a minute okay Sorry, you watch it every now and then? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, he was, like, you know, Bert was, like, gone, you know, in Serbia for, you know, like, I don't know, 20-some-odd episodes. And, uh, you know, so they had, like, a bunch of, like, guests while he was gone. Anyway, uh, so the movie is about, like, so he has this bit about how he – um, robbed a train with the Russian mob while he was there on like you know uh, semester abroad, and so the movie is a a thing of like 
he's you know like a like time has passed he's a famous comedian and then this uh russian mob boss is like oh that's probably what happened to my watch so like he dispatches a bunch of people they kidnap him and his dad played by mark hamill and you know ensuing um you know adventures and hilarity comedic comedic hijinks exactly yeah i mean it's a pretty you know standard you know um father and son not getting along while you know somebody's reliving their past and you know going through stuff in the present um i don't know i thought it was i thought it was funny i thought it was well done um yeah like i don't think john would enjoy it in any way shape or form because <laughs> uh, you know like uh yeah i just don't like kreischer at all like i don't i don't find him i find him obnoxious and like unfunny and uh i hate like his the way he does stand up it really bothers i mean to be fair though i like I think I'm coming to the realization that I just don't really like stand up very much at all. Like, I mean, there's like a couple of comedians who, you know, do a good job with it, but like watching that last Tom Segura special, I was just like, this guy is putting like zero effort into this at this point. You know, it's like, I, I the, the, I, there was like very little that was funny or thought out in that. It was just like, so it honestly felt like he was on his podcast and I was just like, the podcast is free, dude. You know, it's like we're paying, we're paying money to see this special. And it's like, it's just bullshit stories from your podcast. I don't know. It just didn't, didn't interest me. I don't know. But I mean, I 100% agree with you. Like, like yeah. that's, that's the problem I've had, like watching, you know, a lot of like comedians podcasts. It's like, you know, seeing them as like real, you know, real people have, real conversations and then trying to go see them put on an act oh yeah like, dude the I, performative nature of it too like this the, the way especially absolutely. the way segura does it where he's like he just puts on these like bullshit uh emotions into things you know like in these faces that he makes and i'm just like you gotta stop dude like this is <laughs> it's brutal and that's what's uh, that's what's so so interesting about um i hate to say it i mean i hate to like invoke his name but you watch a Louis C.K. special from like this year or last year, it's unbelievable how much better it is than every other comedian working. And you can just <laughs> tell like the jokes are refined and like the way his he has the he has the same issue. He has the performative shit too. Mm. But it's more subtle and it feels more real for that reason. I don't know, man. I yeah, stand up is just brutal to me. And like even like I watch, I I do. I like I used to watch a lot of Segura's, um, especially um, the Your Mom's House thing. You know, where he does with his wife. I yeah, had to stop yeah. watching. I had to stop watching it though because he he's he's become this uh, <laughs> like he just keeps talking shit about like poor people all the time. It feels like, like every time I turn it on, he's like talking about how rich he is and how much his watch cost and how much he spent on this or that. And he's talking about how people who, you know, uh, like he, I remember he was making fun of like a leftist on TikTok or something. 
And mm. he was just saying, so all these people are fucking bullshit. They want to share everything. And it's just like, I mean, it's like, is this guy retarded? Like, I can't understand this, this mindset. Like, who is this yeah. guy? Like, I can't, I can't be watching this guy's thing. You know, I don't want to hear this kind of nonsense. I guess yeah. so it, I guess it really turned on this dude. Yeah, I know. It really bummed me out, dude. I was like, I, you know, and this, it kept happening over and over again. That's what turned me off. Cause I was giving him the benefit of the doubt and I kept watching. Cause I like the, especially the ones where, um, his wife does the TikTok videos and they talk about them, but it just kept things like that kept coming up and they were just like, it just feels like very, I don't know, conservative almost, you know? And like, that's like, well, gross. like I'm not into, well, that's the thing. Like, like, yeah, I, I 100% see what you're saying. Cause like, that's the thing about like the actual podcast, your mom's house. Like it's mm-hmm. again, you know, like, like you, like ostensibly it's the two of them talking and being funny, but really what it is is like, it's a show and they're, you know, like definitely like they're definitely putting on characters. Yeah. It's like, cause like, you know, he has, he has another thing, you know, he's got like, a, you know, 87 podcasts, but right. like one that he, yeah, I mean, but like one that he doesn't really do anymore. Tom talks. It's like, you know, like, where's this Tom Segura? Like, this is the, this is the guy who's like, you know, like very open, you know, and still funny, but, uh, you know, yeah. Like, I think, I think you're right though. Like the, the whole, like putting them on podcasts and hearing them, uh, what you assume to be their real personalities. Mm. It's just like, it turns you off because it's like, you don't, now you're watching, now you know that you're watching when you're watching them do stand up. You're not, it's not them anymore. You know, you thought, you thought that was their real personality, but that's not actually them. This is them, you know? And it's like, um, I think, I mean, the only, the only thing I would say, like the only podcast with a comedian, I would say that doesn't apply to, would be like somebody like Mark Marin. Like Mark Marin mm. seems genuine on his podcast. He just seems like he is who he is, and he's because I, mean, I think a lot of this has to do with age. Like he's just an older guy, and you know yeah. he doesn't uh, like he's not he, he's not bullshitting with anyone. He's not faking who he is anymore. And his stand up, I don't I don't love his stand up either, but he definitely has like a just sort of more matter of fact approach to it. So yeah, I, I would... appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Cause like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah, you look at Marin, like, you know, whether he's on this podcast or that podcast, you know, and like, he's the same guy on every one of those. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, like you watch like two bears, one cave and you like Kreischer for sure turns up, you know, the goofiness of his personality um oh then, yeah like, the laughing and shit how he laughs at his own jokes and he's just yeah losing yeah. it like he can't talk because he's laughing so much fuck this guy dude right. <laughs> i can't stand that but yeah but like then like you watch like you know y- you watch him like not talking to segura whether it's on you know two bears or you know his own podcast like mm-hmm. you know yeah he's goofy but he's not that goofy he's not that over the top right like it's very much you know like like they're they're essentially a comic act where like tom is 100 percent the straight man and bert is the foil so um jr how do you feel about bert kreischer are you a big fan 
Uh, no, not a big fan. I also am not super familiar with this work. I thought the machine looked uh, really dumb, but I did not watch it, and I probably won't watch it. <gasps> Kevin gave it four say, stars, I'm not say, <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm not Kevin. Gonna say it's, I'm not going to say it's not dumb. You know, like I said, <laughs> it's very – like the, the, the story beats – are very by the book like this is this is a story that i guarantee you you know you've probably seen three four or five times but i mean i don't know like with within you know certain things that it does i think you know it's it it fits what it's it fits what it's trying to do and you know like mark hamill as the dad like you know he's just good (laughs) you know yeah yeah I'm probably going to watch Old Dads this weekend mm. with uh, Bill Burr, you know, <laughs> it's more my yeah, speed. Just kidding. Yeah. I, I'm also, uh, I don't know if I, I, I'm out of, I'm out of love certainly with, uh, with standup comedy. I tried to watch the, uh, latest Jim Gaffigan one on Amazon and it's like, he kind of just thought like being angry would be enough of like a, a creative turn for him. No. But it, yeah, there's, there's very crazy. little funny. It just sounds That's embarrassing, not dude. Right. I can't do it. It's so, not. Oh. It's not good. I mean, I I didn't finish it because I was just like, this is lame. But I uh I will tell you what. I'm gonna watch Joe Perez special. Uh, that is a guy that, who I love, and I think that the Joe Perez talks with you show and that character was uh. It was like truly great. So uh, I'll check out that special. And if that one sucks, then I'm out. I'm out on comedy. I'm sort of only. I think I'm only watching Louis C.K. stuff. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I just like the, la- the last okay. couple of Bill Burr specials yeah. weren't great either. Right, and this I mean, is a I good. It's a good final episode, guys. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, had good, we had a good run. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not commenting on him as a person. I just his comedy is incredibly sharp and good. That's all. Anyway, mm. um, who goes after Kevin? Because now I've forgotten how the order's you gone. You. Okay. I, uh, okay. I'm going to talk about <laughs> a, a story you haven't seen before. A movie called I Love You, I Don't, directed by Serge Gainsbourg, which I just watched tonight uh, on a whim. Just went on my Plex, just surfing through the, the stuff in my watch list and saw this and was like what the fuck is this again and then i just turned it on <laughs> i was like it's 80 minutes long i'm turning the shit on and um it's good it was really like uh surprisingly um interesting and like really well directed but like from the perspective of, like you could tell this like this fellow hasn't directed a movie before because he's just doing <laughs> shit like that it's just really sort of um like cool camera stuff, but like, you know, it doesn't really serve that much of a purpose, but it is a lot of fun to look at, you know, and uh, just like tracking shots and dolly shots and shit. And, um, it's a story about this guy, uh, whose name is Kraski, who's a, uh, dump truck driver. And I, I, they're in France. I'm pretty sure. But this movie has like a, a sheen on it. That is like, um, them vendors and uh, Stroshek, Herzog Stroshek, like this, like love of Americana and like the sort of Midwest, uh, the poor Midwest, you know. And it's and Kraski's played by an American, Joe Delisandro, who is actually uh, he's in the Limey, 
I didn't realize it, but uh, he's in the limey as a, um, he's Nikki Cat's partner, the, one of the two hitmen. He was like mm. a, he was like a hot guy. Yeah. In some decade. Oh, he's a hot guy in this movie. He's <laughs> good looking. I mean, he's got, you know, he's, he's real in shape. He's young. And um, he plays opposite Jane Birkin, who. Uh, a hot girl. Sure. She's, she's a waitress <laughs> named Johnny at a truck stop. Which again, like this, like stuff you would never like think of. You wouldn't, you would, you don't uh, associate these things with like France, <laughs> you know. But it's like <laughs> it's like this like broken down truck stop where you get coffee and burgers, you know. And it's like he's a dump truck driver. He drives to the landfill every day, you know. And they're drinking beer. And but um, he is he is gay. So there is that. <laughs> he's a. Uh, He's gay with his um, his friend who's all who like works with him on the dump truck, the garbage truck, I guess. But it's a dump truck anyway. And uh, but when but when Kraski meets Jane Birkin, of course, he he Mm. falls for her. But because he's gay, he can't get aroused with her, even though they both want to have sex with each other really bad. But until he realizes that he needs to uh, have sex with her anally only. Which is the cause of the, yeah, which is the cause of their problem. So he starts, uh, they start doing that, but it hurts obviously her. So then she's can't keep quiet. She's like really loudly screaming and they end up getting kicked out of like every place that they're trying to stay in. <laughs> and this is like what the movie is, but it's, like, <laughs> I'm not explaining. It well. it's, insane. it's a good yeah. movie though. It really is a good movie. Um, and um, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the story of, I mean, the, the title is perfect. I love you. I don't, because it's like they're, they really like each other and they want to be with each other, but it's just like not meant to be, you know, like he's not, he's not straight. So it just doesn't work, you know, but like the, but he wants to be with her. Like he loves her, but just there's like the, the, the attraction to females problem. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a really interesting sort of conflict to have, I think uh, in a movie. And one one that I'm not familiar with, I haven't seen it before, I don't think. And uh, yeah, I, this the uh, the print of this that I watched on Plex looked like dog shit. It looked like a like like a like a VHS that's been watched 500 times. And um, and the uh, it's in French. The whole movie's in French, but D'Alessandro is definitely speaking English, and he's been dubbed. But everybody else seems to be speaking French. Hmm. So yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. If, if, if for nothing else, just to see Gainsbourg as a director, like he's, he's, he's got something. I'm going to watch more stuff from him. This is his first one. You know, he did another movie with yeah. his daughter called uh, forever Charlotte. I'm going to check that one out too. I think Gainsbourg is kind of a controversial figure, right? I don't know. Uh, I, I would believe it, but I, I didn't know. Huh? feel like he was accused of something but anyways um yeah right uh i think i'll i'll probably wrap up this round uh and i probably won't talk about uh ben wheatley's um career turn with uh meg to the trench uh, which (laughs) is not good and uh you know i'll just mention that fair play on netflix which was like a sundance darling Directed by Chloe Demont, which is like a uh, 
like a not sex thriller. It's not like an erotic thriller, but it's like a like a gender roles uh, drama thriller thing set in on Wall Street. Is a uh, it is okay, and it is just way too heavy handed and on the nose with what it wants to do, uh, which is a bummer for a movie that is it could have been interesting. Uh, and uh, we probably just need to mention Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe which you know i thought was uh was really good and i had it, it is a movie that i am still thinking about and i think that speaks to uh its power um because there's a lot going on uh, i think it's a, it's a really complicated movie i think uh it's a movie that everyone should watch it's telling what i think is a really uh important story it is telling that story in a just very different way than uh its source material did um and i i I love i I love i love the book and i suspect i'm going to love this movie uh i as of right now i really like it but just like the way that i keep thinking about it i i think that this is going to be a a grower um I'm definitely going to watch it when it comes out on uh, on Apple Plus. And uh, I think that Lily Gladstone, um, one of the leads, is absolutely just incredible. I think uh, that Leonardo, Leonardo gave the third best performance out of the three leads. Because I also really liked uh, what Robert De Niro was doing with this as well. Um, I agree with everything you just said except and this is going to be unpopular and i'm sorry to whoever is listening to this but uh i I hesitate to even say it honestly well you know we're already canceled so (laughs) (laughs) i just was not bowled over by gladstone's performance and i'm not entirely sure what i'm supposed to be bowled over by in her performance like and I like Lily Gladstone and I Faces. have I have liked her performance in other films and I understand that what she's doing is very subtle in this movie and her character is not not demonstrative and um, I'm fine with that I just she, the you know it's one of the issues that I have with the movie is that like just perspective like it's a weird uh, choice. Well, it's, it's not weird. It's actually like extremely like normal. It's like the super normal, seemingly choice to tell this story from the perspective that it's being told from, and uh, it's just strange, like uh, that people are raving about Lily Gladstone when, like, in reality, like, I mean, it's a long movie. She's not in it that much. Like, when you really break it down, or I mean, she's in scenes, but she's not. Like, she's just sort of, like, in the scene. Like, she's not talking a lot. Like, she's... Uh, and it's from the it's virtue of what her, what's happening to her character, and that's fine. Um, but it's just, like, it's not... It almost seems like it's not It's not about her. Like, it's it's about, like, the... Um, it's about DiCaprio, essentially. I mean, he's the, he's the center of the film, which is, again, that's yeah. a weird thing. Because DiCaprio is playing easily the most unlikable character he's ever played in a movie. And uh, it's a weird person to make the center of the movie, I feel like. Yeah, and I I definitely read um, 
you know the star of a uh, oh right yeah reservation dogs was was mm. talking about that and like i definitely saw uh her point i the choice to put leonardo DiCaprio put leo i don't know why i say his full name again uh and by virtue of putting leo also uh robert de niro's character at the center like i think i think it makes it really interesting just uh the way that it it makes it focus on the community in a weird way um and i'm tr- we're, i'm like trying to talk around things because Oh, yeah, you, know, you don't want to spoil I, shit for I, Kevin. I won't spoil anything for Kevin because I, you know, I get Kevin. I there's no way that I could have made it to this movie if I wasn't in the middle or not. Yeah, I mean basically the middle of a week mm. off school while my <laughs> yeah. daughter was still in daycare. Like I don't know how people with kids and jobs can like make it to this movie. Like it's it's just too long. Um, I saw a 9:30 showing. That's how I did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the it's. Yeah, um, the way that we get the community, I think, is is really fascinating, and uh, you can only get that version of the community if you have Leo at the center. Um, and if you put Lily Gladstone, and if you actually put the victims as the main focus, it then just becomes a, a it becomes a movie about victims who mm-hmm. can't do anything to help themselves. So it's, it's just like, um, sure. It's similar to like a poverty porn thing where it's like, I just am watching people suffer. Uh, and like, that's, it's miserable. And or, or, watching or it goes suffer and it's miserable, but it, it's like, it's there. There's more of a point that, that's, I, that, uh, I don't know how to say what I want to say. No, I agree. Seeing, I, seeing I, these people suffer is important because it's like an awful, awful story. But, um, yeah. I was going to say that, like, or it goes the other direction, which is even worse, where it's like, it's from their perspective and one of them, like, rises up and fights back. And there's, like, the great moment at the end where yeah. she points him out in the courtroom or something. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. it's like it, it becomes, like, saccharine and lame. But it's like, I just I'm not I'm not suggesting that um, it should be told necessarily from a different perspective. I don't I don't know what the right way to do it is. And Scorsese is smarter than I am with making films, obviously. But um, and I want to be clear that, like, I don't like the the this the the uh, whatever sort of problem that the lady from uh, or the actress or actor from uh, <coughs> Reservation Dogs has in this movie. Yeah. I don't Deborah have Jacobs. that problem. Yeah, I don't have that problem because I, you know, I'm not uh, personally offended by their choice. I just think like from like as an audience member, like viewing it, I'm like this, it's, it just felt like it was the easy choice. And maybe that's because it's just like the only way you could do it to make, it just feels like more, more conventional, well, I guess it feels more conventional because it's being told from their perspective. The other way like a crime could, thriller, you know, the other way you could do it is the way that the book did it. And I think that could make a compelling and shorter movie. Uh, I just, I think that it would miss some of the interesting things that Scorsese does do. Kevin, have you read this book? Mm-mm. Okay. never mind. Then, uh, then that's all I'll say, you know, okay. it doesn't do it the way that the, the book does it. Uh, highly, highly recommend this book. It's a pretty short, uh, short read. And, um, and also like what the book does is incredibly, uh, clever it's almost um 
it's putting it into like a very modern, uh, popular populist structure uh, to to Trojan horse some uh, some some real shit into the mm. story uh, and really just gut punch you uh, in the second half. Uh, great, fantastic read. Uh, and I read uh, this guy's next book, David Grant's next book called The Wager, which he put out earlier this year, and apparently. That's uh, Scorsese's next uh, movie with Apple. So, yeah, so he right. says with uh, DiCaprio also. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I also said that he doesn't even know who DiCaprio will play yet. He just knows DiCaprio will be there. He has to be. That's about um, uh, that's about a shipwreck. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, oh. great. That sounds cool. Mm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, th- I mean, that's that's my only that, that was my only like um sort of uh criticism that I have of the movie or close to it. Like, I think it's, I agree. It's like, it's like really, uh, I felt like it was really watchable. The pacing was amazing. Like for a three and a half hour movie, like it's, you know, it was like, it was like JFK for me. It just like flew by like nothing. And, um, I thought all the performances were at, at the very least, uh, quite good. And I love the sort of, uh, injection of what seemed to be non-actors maybe, or like, uh, I mean, I don't know. They just feel like really real people like that. The guy who, do you know who I'm talking about? Like the, the, the hillbilly guy who they get to do the one thing. <laughs> like uh, AC. Yeah. Yeah. AC. He's like, that Taller, guy's great. Skinny one. Yeah, yeah. 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 That guy's terrific, dude. And like, I don't know if that guy's an actor or not, but he's wonderful in the oh, movie. Gosh, you know what we talked to, like We talked in the, what we're doing like trailers. There are multiple musicians in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I know who Jack White was. But I, I can't remember like that that sort of like indie country guy. Isbell? Jason Isbell? No, no. I, he was in there. Sturgill? Too. Sturgill. Mm. Who was Sturgill? Oh, is he in this? I don't know. Yeah. Shad Healy's in it too, apparently. I don't I don't know. Oh yeah, Sturgill Simpson. He's Henry Grammer. Oh, he's the fucking former athlete. Okay. Who's running like the bootlegging thing? That they get to do. Oh, oh, thing. oh, the cowboy hat guy. Okay, yeah. Okay. All cool. right. Apparently, I don't recognize Sturgill uh, at all. Sturgill Simpson. Who, who was Who was Jason Isbell? I don't know. I don't. I, don't I I remember that he was in there, but I don't know who he was supposed to be. He's Bill Smith. I don't remember the people's names. I don't know. Um, Bill Smith. It's weird because uh, Is he the butcher. Maybe so Paul Schrader. Sure. Paul Schrader wrote a review saying that Jason Isbell was like the best performance in the movie, which is I was like, well, fuck. who the fuck is Jason Isbell? You know. <laughs> um, but, but and anyways. I I also have like uh, I do have criticisms and I have criticisms sure. like of what the movie is doing with uh with Leo's character and that relationship and I think that they kind of make him uh too dumb and I they make. Gladstone's character too smart that like I had a real issue with some believability things there just the way that those characters are are conceived and performed but uh, I think it's I think they don't you feel like they don't you feel like his his sort of goofball stupidity is um to like make him more manipulatable as a like to make him believably manipulatable as a character like because he like literally he does yes. not think for himself ever in the movie, right? <laughs> it's like it's always someone telling him what to do, and he just does it. And it's like you can believe it because oh, he's a moron, fuck. right? He's uh, Bill Smith is 
the guy whose wife dies and then marries Rita, like he's married to, to two oh, oh, right, of right, Molly's right. Okay. sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in that like movie he's a in... lot. Is he? I mean, rel- relative, <laughs> relative to other bit characters, like he yeah, has fair. several scenes. Yeah. Oh, he's you know, the one. Uh, he I, asked yeah, Leo he... if he'll go wait outside. And Leo, they they have like a confrontation at one point, right? Yeah. Like a sort of subtle convers uh, confrontation in a in a living room. Okay. Um. Yeah. I also also that uh, Scorsese's direction rocks in this. Like it's just like some like old school sort of editing stuff going on. Like um, and a lot of comparisons I've read online to from like this to Goodfellas, and um, some of them are apt. I think some of them are like reaching a little bit, but uh. But there's like a lot, like some of the, you know, I mean, obviously it's not like as kinetic or energetic as Goodfellas in its pacing and editing, but it's certainly, especially at the beginning, like the first maybe 15 minutes, like it's, it's good. Like it's, it gets you going, you know? Yeah. Agreed. The good, good start. And I love the epilogue. The ending of the film is absolutely wonderful. It's a brilliant way to end it. That was, that was a choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do, you, okay. do you appreciate that choice or not? Uh, yes. And it, as it was happening, I was really concerned. Like, I was like, do I like, like, what the fuck is happening? Do I like this? <laughs> uh, but it ended up with, yes, I did. That was great. Um, all right. Well, yeah. I, I, and I too <clears throat> will be rewatching, um, when it hits Apple for sure. For sure. Nice. Kevin? All right. Well, I'll go through a couple real quick. So I finally got around to watching Manchester by the Sea. Casey Affleck putting in a really, really hard performance here, man. Um, yeah. And also, like I said in my review, it's like, you know, this, you know, this this movie is a perfect example of why it's okay for men to cry, and they need mm-hmm. to know that it's okay for them to cry. Um, yeah. So then I rewatched Green Room because it's on Max and fucking rules. Like yeah. I Hell yeah yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah I don't I don't know what uh Saulnier's next movie is you know really gonna be but I hope that he's bringing this sort of energy back to you know his uh movie making because Green Room I love uh I love Blue Ruin um Murder Party not so much uh um, the Dark Party. not so much um uh, but but yeah Green Room Green Room rules so I'm very much looking forward to him doing more stuff. And finally, I finally got around to watching Blackberry. And mm. like, I think, uh, you know, definitely Matt Johnson's best movie. Um, I like the performances in it. I'm not sure about, um, was, uh, Glenn Howerton. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about his, like just, just, just the way just the way the characterization is done in the movie is like eh, well like you know what is this guy like we don't go away, go away. we don't really get any of his like you know real motivations or whatever he's just you know basically going through the movie being being a dick yeah. um 
but like <laughs> I, I I liked uh I liked the um back and forth between uh Bearshell and Matt Johnson as you know like these two goobers who you know like you know hit it big and then one of them's like you know you know we were supposed to be having fun and it's like no it's like no it's all about money now um good Bearshell impression I do my, <laughs> I do the best I can um and like Michael Ironsides. Yeah, dude. in this movie. Like it's so weird too cuz I didn't had no idea it was him for like the first 15 minutes he's in the movie. Yeah, and I mean like, you know, like he, he you know the the way, you know, he's only in the movie for I don't know, maybe a total of like 10 minutes out of, mm-hmm. you know, the 2-hour runtime. But like the way he like does the way he like you know exactly who his character is, what his character is there for. But then, like, his character has growth and development within, you know, like, basically 10 minutes on screen. It's like, it's so good. So, yeah. yeah. Blackberry's a good movie. Also, one of the, uh, for me, another one of the funny, funny movies of 2023. I mean, mm, a lot of good yeah. laughs in it, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not a straight comedy, but definitely funny. Yeah. All right. Um, is that all, Kevin? Yep. All right. JR, are you done, right? Yeah. That's our show, then. Uh, it's my pick next time, right? Yep, it is. All right. It's, it's time, JR. Are you ready? It's time. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) You're not going to feel like a Serpico at me, are you? No, 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 no. Okay. I'm not going to do Serpico. Serpico's not even on my list of potential deep dives. Didn't you, you didn't watch Serpico? You still haven't seen that? Oh, I, th- I think maybe I did, actually. I think you did watch it. Yeah, I thought yeah. you did. Um, no, we're going to watch... I did. Uh, I liked it, too. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to watch The Missing, which is a Ron Howard film. I know how much you love Ron Howard. What the fuck uh, is going on? What do you... We, okay. <laughs> It's continue. also a western from 2003, starring Tommy Lee Jones and Kate Blanchett and Evan Rachel Wood. And um, yeah, I saw this movie in the theater back in '03, and uh, remember being let down by it. I remember thinking it was going to be awesome, and then being let down. But also, you know, I was like 17, so who knows how I'll feel about it now? I'm excited to rewatch it 20 years later. So that's what we're watching. I cannot say that I'm excited. <laughs> it's on Max, so it's readily available. Ooh, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. And, and Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yeah. And Clint Howard and Elizabeth Moss is in this. Oh. In an early role. So yeah, it's got it's got a cast. It's got a cast. Um anyways. So yeah, until next time. Uh that's our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, visit our website filmmacpodcast.com write to us filmmacpodcast at gmail.com and until next time bye bye everything is beautiful nothing has